All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Glad to see you here. Uh, we had an awesome vacation, if you care. No. <laughs> Thank you guys for your prayers. No shark bites. That was wonderful. I like to wander out into the seas. And if you haven't noticed, I, I look kind of like a seal. So <laughs> the further out we go, and I see my father on the shoreline like this, you know. Uh, but uh, yeah, no shark attacks. That's good. We had an absolute awesome time. Uh, and, you know, if you're a person of faith, all it takes is nature, right? And it's cool because my, my nephew, Kenny, who is uh, uh, an enlisted man, he's stationed in New Mexico, and he uh, came on vacation with us. It's the first time like that we've got to spend with Kenny in years, you know. It's so weird. He's a grown man now, and it's just strange because you know what that means. It means that I'm an old man now. Um, but we would get out to, <clears throat> at Emerald Isle, it's like a, this long, beautiful beach, and you wade out into the water, and this is at low tide. Don't do this at high tide because you will be swept into the seven seas. But when the tide is out, you can, you can go out, and it gets up to about here, and then you kind of like skirmish out a little bit and, and, and tiptoe out, and then you come to this sandbar, and it's up to your, back up to your waist. And you're like 70 feet from shore, but the water's only up to your waist. And there's a wave breaking there. And we body surf. And we would just hang out there for hours. But every day, Kenny and I would get out to that point, And I would just look over at Kenny. And he'd look at me. And we would just go, like, this is awesome. You know, this is awesome. And for me, vacation's great. But being there and looking out. And, you know, you see the ocean. You can almost, it's like you can see, I don't know if it's an optical illusion or because we all know the earth really is flat, but you can see, <laughs> just kidding, uh, just kidding for people out there who are like, yeah, I knew it, uh, uh, that you can almost see like the curvature of the earth and the ocean and the waves and, 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 and the flags are up. You know, if it's a yellow flag, it means it's, eh, the rip current's oh, not too bad, you know, it's there. Red flag means uh, it's rough. There's a, there's a rip current. Be very careful. If there's two red flags, it means if you go in the water, we'll arrest you. <laughs> and if there's two blue, blue flags, it means there's a marine animal. A marine pest is what it says. You know what that means. Shark, right? Uh, so we had anywhere from yellow to red all week. Uh, we had this beautiful week. But you're out there and you, you realize just, just with that, the magnitude and the power and the absolute stunning, breathtaking beauty of what God created. Now, you can go two directions with that, and that's what we do in this day and age that we live in. You can go, wow, all that from an explosion. I mean, that makes perfect sense. Boom, the sun, the seas, the sky, the moon, the waves, the tide, the current, all of it. Boom, the marine life, the animals, the fish, the seas, the people, everything. Boom, from an explosion. Perfect sense. Or you can be driven to your knees in worship and say, there's a God, and I'm accountable to know what he wants of me. And to know what we know about Almighty God, that the king of the universe, the creator of all things, loves a speck, and not even a clean speck, not even like a good speck, not a holy speck, a dirty, rotten, scoundrel speck like me, he loves and adores me so much, he considers me and you to be such a treasure that he would send his only son. He redeemed us to himself. He purchased us. We didn't purchase him. We didn't acquire him. We didn't attain to him. He purchased us with the blood of his only son. We were bought with a price, and it drives you to worship. Worship. 
And hopefully your heart explodes with thanksgiving. God, you're so good. God, you're so great. And that you would call me and that you would choose me and that I would have such a hope as this that no matter how much I blow it and no matter how stupid I act sometimes, I remain your treasure because you created me. And all the promises of God's holy word and the heavens beyond are promised to you and I simply because we've said, I believe. I don't just believe in God. It's not enough to say, I just, I believe in God. Oh, I believe in God. I even believe in Jesus. The Bible says, great, good for you. So do the demons. And they tremble. But to say, no, 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 no. Here's what I believe, what God's word says. I am a sinner. I have fallen short of the glory of God, and thereby I've been separated from his presence. My eternity is hellfire. Not because God wants me to go to hell, but because to be separated from God is to be in hell. And that's where I'm going because I've been separated. But Jesus Christ came to this planet, left the glories of heaven and the throne room to become a simple man, not even a great man, which would still be an amoeba, but a simple man, a man who had nothing to be mistreated, to be abused, and finally tortured to death just so he could get the message to you that his father loves you. And watch this, I'm going to die for you, and I'm going to pay that atoning price so you can have a relationship with him again. And listen, every day is Thanksgiving, isn't it, Christian? If you understand that, and you wake up every morning reminding yourself of that, every day is Thanksgiving. And I don't have to get thrown off course, and I don't have to lose my ever-loving living mind when it rains when I was hoping it would be sunny, or when the internet goes out. But no matter what happens, I can live and move and breathe and exist knowing that I'm in his, the center of his will for my life, or at least seeking to be in the center of his will for my life. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Faith, it always comes back to faith. Now, you can tell people about creation, and you can try to explain it with a much much greater scientific mind than I could ever dream to have in such a way that people might understand the science behind it, that it actually does make sense. And you could be able to expound upon the scriptures and search the prophecies and explain it prophecy by prophecy, all the many hundreds of prophecies that God said were going to happen that he fulfilled to the letter in his word. And you can go through the histories of the church age and show the works of God to a person. And listen, without faith, it... Uh, it, it what am I trying to say here? Without faith, it doesn't do them any good. I got to bring it back down to my vernacular. Without faith, it doesn't do them any good. Because the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's why Corinthians says if I, if I have all the faith to move mountains, I surrender my body to the flames and I can work miracles and do all these wonderful, amazing things. And if I don't have love... And what is the origin of that love? It's the love that is given to us by God as we express faith in Him. It's worth nothing. It's worth nothing. Faith is what activates it. And, and every time I get into a conversation with a person, what about this and what about this and what about this? Invariably, I'll come to, the, to, the, to, to a point in the conversation where I'll say, look, at the end of the day, the Bible forcibly pushes you into a corner where you either have to have faith or you don't. 
It was never intended, it was never given to us to show us uh, every single minute detail of everything you would ever need to say. There's no arguing it. There's no way, there's no other way. It is absolutely, I have, uh, there's nowhere to go. I, I just know it physically, uh, substantially with what I see and hear and, and with my own eyes and, and what historians tell. It's all right there. Always God puts us in a position where we have to exercise faith. Where we have to exercise faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. For those that come to him must believe first that he is, and second, that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. Faith is what it's all about. Uh, in Deuteronomy, we're in chapter 30, and hopefully talking about this, these things and a little bit of the history of the nation of Israel will bolster your faith. See, again, like as, as all these things we talk to, we get to these different portions in Scripture and, uh, where you see a prophecy fulfilled, you know, uh, that genealogy. For me, it, one of the things that blew my mind more than anything else was that genealogy from Adam to Noah that we've talked about that, that literally spells out, that speaks out the gospel message of Jesus Christ through the names in an ancient Jewish genealogy, right? An ancient Hebrew genealogy. Uh, that spells out the gospel of Jesus Christ. When I see stuff like that, it's like, because I already have faith, that's all I need, man. You understand? Like, like I don't need, but I need more proof, but I need more proof. Remember, when Jesus Christ tells the story uh, of the rich man and Lazarus, remember? And uh, they, they both die, and Lazarus goes to the place of the unrighteous dead, which was Abraham's bosom, and the rich man goes to the place of torment for those who were unrighteous, who were not believers, and there's conversation takes place between the rich man and Abraham. Father Abraham, Father Abraham, you know, send Lazarus over here. Have him dip his finger in cold water and touch my tongue. I'm in agony in this place. And Abraham tells him it's not possible. And he says, well, then please send Lazarus back to, the, to, 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 to life. Uh, send him back to the earth to tell my brothers about this place so that they don't come here. And remember what Abraham says to the rich man. This is Jesus telling us his story. They have the law and the prophets. They have the law and they have the prophets. They already have. Now, Jesus is telling the story before the New Testament was ever written. There was no Matthew chapter 1 yet, let alone Revelation. It was just the Old Testament. And Jesus telling the story says that Abraham said to the rich man, they have the law and the prophets. And if they won't believe the law and the prophets, listen, then even if one were to come back from the dead, they wouldn't believe. And Jesus Christ, born, lived, and died in Israel, and rose from the grave, seen by witnesses, and they wouldn't believe. And the power of the early church that was insurmountable and that they couldn't fight against, and when they finally got a guy who was this ferocious, amazingly awful person who was capable of crushing this new movement called uh, The Way, that later became called Christianity, when they finally found this ferocious guy, guess what happened? Jesus knocked him down, blinded him, and turned him into the Apostle Paul. And they still wouldn't believe, even if one were to come back from the dead. If you, what was God saying? If you don't have faith, it doesn't matter what you see. It doesn't matter what I tell you. It doesn't matter what I explained to you. It doesn't matter what I showed you. But if you have faith, it's so easy it's so easy, the smallest thing. And I'd be like, thank you, God. People are like, what are you, what? It's just that. Oh, no, it's not. For you, it's just that. For me, it's like, oh, thanks, God. 
I've been waiting on that, you know, some dumb thing, you know what I mean? Wow, you really do love me. And you know it, you, you feel in your heart. That's, that's true faith. Uh, so Deuteronomy chapter 30, of course, Moses, you know, Deuteronomy, second law, Moses reiterating to this next generation of, of Israelites who are about to enter into the promised land, uh, the laws of God and the blessings and the cursings. Remember, there's the blessings and there's the cursings. There's the mountain of blessing and there's the mountain of blessing. The blessing if you do what God has commanded you to do, the cursings if you don't do what God has commanded you to do. Reiterating all of these things again. And then Moses goes into this prophetical phase of, the, of this book where he's speaking to the children of Israel and he's telling them, you're going to rebel. I already know your hearts, and God has already made it very clear to my heart, you're not going to keep this word, and you are going to rebel against him, and all these curses are going to come upon you. This stuff is going to happen. And now this is a continuation of that as Moses now goes beyond that into what God is going to do in his redemption of the nation of Israel, okay? And he's speaking into the future. So let's start. Deuteronomy chapter 30, now it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, they were going to experience blessing and they were going to experience cursings. We know that from reading through uh, the Old Testament in the kingdom years. And you call them to mind, you remember among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today, you and your children with all your heart and with all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. Now, certainly uh, parts of this could be related to the Babylonian captivity. We know the children of Israel go across the Jordan River. They conquer Jericho. They go into the promised land, and there they conquer the Canaanites. They take over the land. And then we have the time uh, of, the, of the Jewish history that's called the time of the Judges, right? The book of Judges that we read, and the ups and downs, and the ups and downs. And that leads them to ask for a king, and God grants them a king, even though that wasn't his will for them. He grants them a king, and it's through King Saul. And of course, King Saul disobeys God, so he's deposed by God, and we have the beginning of the reign of King David, okay? Which, which leads to the height and the absolute uh, uh, peak of Israel's greatness as far as an earthly kingdom is concerned in the reign of David's son, King Solomon, they were so wealthy that Israel was so powerful, anything that they saw that they could have. The Bible says they were so wealthy and the economy was so strong that silver was like stones. You see, oh, what's that? Oh, it's just silver. Can you imagine that today? Silver! You know what I mean? The dollar's going to tank, man. We need more of this, you know? In Israel in those days, it was like, oh, it's just silver. <laughs> you know, wake me up for diamonds. You know what I mean? It was that, that prosperous. And that was the height and then what happens? Solomon's heart, because of all the blessing, sound familiar? Because of all the blessing at the absolute height of this kingdom, when God's blessing rested upon this kingdom, because of the blessing and because of all the things that they had and all the wonderful, glorious riches and comforts that obedience to God had brought them, they forget the Lord their God. Sound familiar? And they begin to go after other gods and they reject the Lord their God and they cast him out of their courtrooms. <laughs> and they cast him out of their churches finally even. 
And the things that God promised were going to come upon them if they rejected him and rejected his word absolutely come to pass. And you have this mishmash. The kingdom is after Solomon, his son, um, uh, Rehoboam, and his brother Jeroboam. The kingdom is divided into the northern and southern kingdoms. And from there, it's just, it's a mess. Some good kings, some bad kings, some really bad kings. And finally, it gets to the point where God starts sending prophets to them saying, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. The word of the Lord will be fulfilled. Well, what do you do when a pesky prophet's telling you news you don't want to? You kill them, right? So they kill all the prophets. Tradition tells us that Isaiah was put into a log and sawn in half. That's what they thought of the word of the Lord. And yet the word of the Lord was fulfilled and the Assyrians came sweeping down and first they took the northern kingdom into captivity and then Babylon takes the southern kingdom into captivity and 70 years they're there in captivity in Babylon just as Moses was telling them here. But beyond that, as we continue, let's continue. Verse 3 that the Lord will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God is scattered of you. Now, verse 4, where it kind of begins to seem like, okay, maybe this isn't just the Babylonian captivity. If any of you are driven out to the furthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, past tense, and you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Now, that's where there's kind of a uh, distinction made because when the children of Israel were released, okay, by King Cyrus of Persia to go back to the Holy Land and begin to build the temple and then the walls around Jerusalem, okay, they were never autonomous again. They were never uh, not being ruled by another nation again, right? From the Persians to the Greeks and the Greeks, it was a harsh rule, to the Romans, which was a harsh rule. So God is definitely talking about more than just when they went back after the Babylonian captivity. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Now, this hasn't happened yet. This hasn't happened yet. Certainly among some of them, but Israel is, is uh, and again, this is, this is by the religious statistics according to like Wikipedia, okay? They're like 72% Judaism, like 2% Christian uh, in Israel, 17% Muslim, and so on and so forth. And then there's the people who are this crazy religion or that crazy religion. But, but when it's 72% Judaism, uh, you know, they certainly have not returned to the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? It's impossible. Why? Why? Because they still reject the Messiah. It's not possible. This is a future thing still. Also, the Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you, who persecuted you. Excuse me. And you will again obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments, which I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abound in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your land for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good as he rejoiced over your fathers. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in this book of the law, and if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now, uh, interestingly enough, uh, you have the first Babylonian captivity, uh, and then they come back into the land, as we discussed. 
given permission to do so by, by King Cyrus. And then from there, uh, the rule over the lands are, go from Persian rule to Greek rule and from Greek rule to Roman rule. And of course, that's the time that Jesus Christ comes into the world to live that perfect life 33 years and die on the cross for our sins during that 33 years. But during Jesus' trial... You know, and, and again, when they came back from Babylon, it's, it's a very interesting transition that takes place. They were forever cured of idolatry. They were forever cured of idolatry. You would not find uh, a, a little statue to Baal in a house of a Jew during Jesus' day. That'd be, a, that'd be a dead Jew, right? Because the other Jews would kill him. Like, there was no idolatry like that. Instead, what happened is they became so zealous for the law, the letter of the law, that they surrounded themselves all sorts of philosophers and attorneys and experts to interpret fully. Well, we know this is what God says. What does God really mean? Let's get, let's get, it can't just be simple. So let's get to what God really means. And so they began to, uh, to, to come up with all of these traditions. As Jesus Christ, when he comes on the scene, he would tell them, you teach for doctrine the traditions of men. That's not God's doctrine. It's the traditions of men, and you put it on equal footing with God's word. That is never to be the case. I don't care where you go to church. I don't care what your affiliation is. I don't care what denomination it is. If they're teaching something that goes contrary to God's word, guess what? Let God be true. And how many men liars? Every man a liar, period. And so they had all of these traditions, and that became their religion. It wasn't a relationship with God. It wasn't that sweet fellowship that King David had with Jehovah. It was this hard religion. And any time that you get a religion that's organized and then ruled over by men, what comes next? Just like in any human government, corruption, and all the priests and all these people who were supposed to be leading the people to God and serving the people, instead, the people began, became their servants and became sheep to be fleeced by these religious leaders. And so by the time Jesus Christ comes on the scene, remember when he tells the parable where he says there's a man who had a demon inside of him and the demon was cast away from him. That's the Jewish nation and idolatry. And the demon went out and roamed through the world in dry, arid places, and then finding no place to rest said, I'll go back to where I came from. And when it comes back, it finds that man clean, swept, and put into order in his heart. That was the Jewish religion. Clean, very clean, swept, and put into order. But there was no one living there. And so he says, I'll get seven more demons worse than myself. And Jesus said, the condition of that man was worse than before. He was talking about where the people were in their religion. Unable completely to this day in 2021, unable to see who Jesus is. And yet he held them accountable to it. If you had only known, he says, when he wrote it on Palm Sunday, that in this your day, he held them accountable to know exactly what day it was on Palm Sunday, prophesied by the, by the prophet Daniel that he was indeed the Messiah, and instead they reject him. They cast him off. It's worse than the Babylonian, uh, um, the idolatry that preceded the Babylonian captivity. Excuse me. And so, in Luke chapter 23, verses 27 to 28, 
during the, the trial, of course, of Jesus, when Pilate was asking the people, what about Jesus, what about Jesus? Some of the things that the people said, you read it and you just go, and your, your, your heart sinks. We have no king but Caesar. Imagine a, a Jewish person saying that. Imagine, you know, during the time of King David, somebody saying that. We have no king but Caesar. And they said, we will not have this man to rule over us. Away with him, away with him. And Pilate says, his blood isn't going to be on my hands. And the people said, his blood will be on our hands and on the hands of our children. And so as Jesus is being led away to be crucified, it says in Luke 23, 27, and a great multitude of the people followed him and women who also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus turning to them said, daughters of Jerusalem, notice what he says, daughters not of Israel, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. 70 AD, Titus Vespasian invades Jerusalem, destroys the temple, and the Jews are slaughtered. And I mean slaughtered. Josephus says that the blood was literally running in the streets. And he tears down Herod's temple, and he burns it to get all the gold out of it. So that they could, just as Jesus said, in order to get the gold out of it, he said, remember Jesus said, I tell you the truth, not one stone will be left standing upon another, but they'll all be torn down. And they mocked him for it and called him a blasphemer for it. When Titus Vespasian destroyed the temple in order to get the gold, excuse me, when they burned the temple, the gold melted down into the cracks and crevices of those giant, enormous rocks that Herod had placed there in building the temple. And in order to get the gold out, they knocked every single stone off the other to get the gold out, and Jesus' prophecy was fulfilled to the letter. After they leave, the ones who survive are driven from that land, this is 70 AD, by the Romans, scattered to the four winds, and Rome renames this area Syria-Palestina. And the Romans named that area after the Jews' ancient enemy, the Philistines. You wonder, why is it called Palestine? Rome named it Palestine on purpose to mock the Jews. They named it Syria, Palestina, which is why it's called Palestine to this day. Interesting, isn't it? Now, uh, in verse 3, there's an interesting thing here. It says that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. Uh, that's the version, that's the translation that you have. The complete Jewish Bible, I, like to, I, did some, I do some cross-referencing sometimes, but here's what it says in the complete Jewish Bible, and I thought that this was very, very interesting. And this is for Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 3. At that point... Adonai, your God, will reverse your exile and show you mercy. Now listen to this. He will return. It's not in your translation. Different, different manuscript. He will return and gather you from all the peoples to which Adonai, your God, scattered you. And that's the complete, if you want to look at your, the Bible app, you can just change, change it. That's the complete Jewish Bible. When was God ever in Israel and then left? When Israel and God got in a fight, God didn't leave. He kicked them out, right? When was God in every, ever in Israel and he left? It says, Adonai, your God, will reverse your exile and show you mercy. He will return 
and gather you from all the peoples to which Adonai your God scattered you. Interesting. Verse 5. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Today, the Jewish people in Israel, the exact land, the exact people, the same exact language of their ancestors. They speak the same Hebrew that they spoke during Jesus' time. They speak the same Hebrew that Moses spoke. Now, Again, we say this again and again and again, and this is for, for, for people of faith to go, wow, okay? How many Hittites do you know? How many Canaanites do you know? How many Romans do you know? Well, it's the same people who are just, I understand that, I understand, but there's no such thing as Rome. There's no such thing as Canaan. There's no such, there's no such thing as Rosh. There's no such thing as Tubal, Meshach. There's no such places as all these ancient, who is calling me? That's work. I'm not on call. Don't you ever. Um, Sorry. (laughs) Uh, The same exact language, the same exact people. 2,000 years ago, if you went to the land of Israel, there would be a Jew there who spoke Hebrew, okay? And they were utterly and completely destroyed. They already didn't have a government. Rome was the government. The only thing they had was the temple, and it was absolutely obliterated. They were slaughtered, wholesale slaughtered, and scattered to the four winds of the world until after World War II. And Hitler comes on the scene with his final solution to the Jewish problem, and we have the Holocaust take place, one of the worst things in the history of our, of, of, of our recent history of anything. But through that, what happens? The Jewish people are brought back to the exact same land. And in 2021, you go to Israel, there's a Jew there speaking Hebrew, and he's called an Israelite. And the world hates him just the way they did. Zionists. The Zionists. The Zionists. Now listen to me. I am not here to be an apologist for the Israeli government. Okay? Don't get that twisted up, Christian. Okay, you're not the apologist for the Israeli government, and nor is it your duty to think of the Jews as being good, okay, and the Palestinians or the Iranians as being bad. Jesus Christ died for the Jew and he died for the Iranian, right? Just the same. Okay, the reason that we look to Israel and we go, wow, the reason that we look to the Jewish people and go, amazing, the reason we love to go there and visit and shake hands and kiss babies and all we're so excited they think we're nuts is because of the Lord. Because this thing is impossible. Do you know what the odds are mathematically that an ancient civilization would be utterly destroyed? It's never happened in the history of the planet. Same home. Same language, same people. Now, uh, I like verses 7 to 9, and I just want to tell you another fun story, interesting story. Also, the Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you, who persecuted you. And you, and you will again obey the voice of the Lord uh, to do all of his commandments, which I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abound in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, in the produce of your land for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good as he rejoiced over your fathers. And what's interesting to me is looking at Israel today, they are certainly not in full obedience to God's word. 
However, God is blessing them as though they were. He is not finished with Israel. They export flowers to Holland. They call it the green line. And if you look, you go to Google Maps. Go to Google Maps and, 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 and go out till you can see the globe and go over to the Middle East and zoom in where Israel is. It's green. It's all desert around, and Israel's green. Now, when Mark Twain went there, before the Jews came back from their captivity, he said, this is the promised land? It's a barren wasteland. This is, this is the promised land? There's nothing there. It's a desert. Not today. As soon as the Jewish people came back, as Dad talked about a few weeks ago, the latter rains came back, and they immediately began to be blessed. And we know what happened. As soon as they came back in 1948, declared themselves a nation, they were attacked by the enemies around them. And God supernaturally sustained them on multiple occasions. I want to talk about just one. What time is it? No, okay, we've got a couple minutes here. 1973, the Yom Kippur War, it was called. It was a sneak attack, uh, and it was orchestrated purposefully during Yom Kippur to take the Jews by surprise. To try to, and, and the goal was always the same. It was to destroy the Jews. All this talk about freedom and the occupation and all this stuff. Yasser Arafat, who they gave the Nobel Peace Prize to, said it himself, his words, his words, not mine. Peace for us means the destruction of Israel. Okay? And that's not about Palestinians and that's not about Iranians. That's a supernatural thing that's taking place. Okay? Between God's people and those who hate God's people because God chose them. Yom Kippur War. The Egyptians attacked from the south with 2,200 tanks. The Syrians came from the north with 1,800 tanks. The first group of, uh, of Israeli soldiers that showed up to fight the Syrians along the Golan Heights, there were 600 of them, approximately. The Syrians made such quick progress, they rushed through the Golan and came to the top of the Golan Heights overlooking the Sea of Galilee. It came so quickly and so fast and with such success, they thought it must be a trap. That's how fast they rolled across Golan to the heights overlooking the Sea of Galilee and they thought it must be a trap. 90% of the Israeli officers that responded to that first, those first battles were killed. And they're trying to fight their way up the Golan Heights to retake the heights. And the Syrians were already there with 1,800 tanks, and they were dug in. But it was so easy, and the resistance in their minds was so small, they thought, it must be a trap. The Jews are planning something. The Jews are plotting something. So here's what they did. They didn't know what to do, so the Syrian leaders came up with a plan. They said, we'll announce over the radio, as though it was really happening, that the Israelis have driven us back all the way to within three miles of Damascus, which is in Syria, and when the UN, the United Nothing, I mean the United Nations, when they hear this, that we're being driven back and we're within, we're within miles of Damascus and the Jews are chasing us, they, they've won, we've lost. When they hear that, the UN will immediately announce a ceasefire... And when they do that, because we're occupying the Golan Heights, our guys are there, they're dug in, we have the Golan Heights. When the U, so we're going to lie. We're going to say that they're winning and they've driven us all the way back. When the UN announces a ceasefire and everything stops, we'll own the Golan Heights. And we'll be happy with that for now. We'll own the Golan Heights. Well, here's what happened. This is all decisions being made by the leadership. 
So they begin to call in out of the, over the radio and, and, and put this ruse into action, this, that what they presumed it was going to be a ruse, in order to get the UN to help them maintain the Golan Heights. And they're saying, they're driving us back. We're being driven back to Damascus. Well, here's the problem. The soldiers that were on the Golan Heights, the Syrian soldiers, nobody told them. And so they heard over the radio that Syria was losing and they're being driven back to Damascus and they abandoned ship. They left the holes that they had dug in. They left the Golan Heights and retreated. And the Jews just walked up and took the hill back. That is supernatural. That is called being discomfited in the Old Testament, right? By God, being confused by God. Uh, here's, here's the interesting thing. It was so bad during the Yom Kippur War that Moshe Dayan told Golda Meir, she was the prime minister at that time, that they were going to be overrun and asked permission to ready their nukes. And she said yes. And they started to get their nuclear arsenal, their atomic arsenal, around. Russia, who was behind the Syrian attack, or, or at least supplying them, they readied an invasion force and started sending their nukes to Syria which caused, we found out through our intelligence and through our satellites that this was taking place, and that caused Nixon, President Nixon, to sound a red alert to our armed forces. We spent, sent special forces into the area, and we announced to Russia that we had our ICBMs locked and loaded. That's where we got to in 1973. By that time, Israel had surrounded the Egyptian forces in the south and was 48 hours from destroying Cairo. We were on the brink of World War III. For the Christian, for the biblical scholar, we were on the brink of Ezekiel 38 and 39. And then if you will, men would say cooler heads prevailed. I say God interceded, right? And everyone was like, whoa, 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 whoa. And the UN called for a ceasefire and brought it all to a halt. We were there. We were right there. But God it wasn't time. God said, it's not time. And he supernaturally protected uh, the nation of Israel. In 1982, there was another buildup of arms, uh, which was stopped before a war broke out when Israel invaded Lebanon. And when Israel invaded Lebanon, they, they found in the, in the mountains of Lebanon, 40 foot high tunnels bored through the mountains of Lebanon, which only the Russians had the technology to do at that time. Only the Russians. They knew this is the Russians. Tunnels, 40-foot tunnels had been bored through the mountains of Lebanon. When they invaded Lebanon, just by chance, I'm sure, right? I'm sure there was no leading there. They found these tunnels, and inside these tunnels, they found 13 divisions worth of Soviet armament and weapons. This is 1982, friends. The Soviets were ready for Ezekiel 38. It was about to go down. And the Jews invade Lebanon. They find these tunnels. It took them six months to bring the weapons and armaments out of those tunnels. You know what they did then? This is the best part. They destroyed the tunnels and they sold the Soviet weapons to the Afghanis who were fighting the Soviets in Afghanistan. And they made a fortune off of it. You know, you, the Russians, ah, Gorbachev, ah, you know, can you imagine? Discomfited, discomfited because of what God has done. So uh, I, I kind of, I want to finish with, finish with this really quick, moving on to, to verse 11. What does that mean for you and me? Okay. 
We're not Jews. We're not in the, in the land of Israel. But you have eyes to see, don't you? And you have ears to hear. And hopefully you have hearts that are full of faith to see these things and know what God has promised here, what God told them way back through Moses absolutely is going to take place. We're not, even, we're not done yet. We're not done yet. Right? We, got some, we got some stuff ahead of us. But I like how he switches, switches gears here, and this is for you and me. For this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into heaven for us to bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over to the sea for, over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. Now, here's what God says. I've given you the word, friends, and that's all you need for your faith to be established and for your walk with God to be established and for you to be within the blessings of God. You have what you need in your lap this morning, the very word of God. Verse 15, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, and that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear, notice that? Your heart turns away so you do not hear. We're not talking about your physical ears, are we? talking about your spiritual ears, and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. See, Moses is now speaking to these people in front of him. It's not prophetic anymore. He's talking to them, and I would say to you and I, I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Here it is. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. But remember, God is the inheritance, right? God was their reward. Remember what he said to Abraham, I am your shield your very great reward. Abraham, it's not in the descendants who are coming after you. It's not even in the promises I'm giving you. I am your reward. I am your reward. Now, this is where we exercise our faith. It's not about the things we don't know. It's about what we do know. Okay, Christian? What's happening in our world today? What's happening politically, globally? What's happening socially? All the craziness. What's next? What does it mean for me? this is where we exercise our faith. It's not about what we don't know. It's about what we do know. Hebrews 11 says this, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We hope for the return of Christ and we believe in a world that is not visible to the human eye, but our hope and belief is based on concrete evidence that God has given us. Notice, because Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the substance and the evidence. To speak of things that are intangible, he speaks of things that are tangible. Substance and evidence of things hoped for and things not seen. What? Romans chapter 1, verses 19 to 20. 
because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. That was Job's God. Job was before Moses. Job was before Abraham. Job was before any of the rest of the Bible was written. Job knew who Jehovah was. And this is how he knew it. Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So we just talked about uh, one of God's absolute evidences that he is, that the things we hope for and the things that we believe are absolutely real, one of the absolute concrete evidences that we have, we just talked about the return of Israel to the land, supernaturally, and God's supernatural uh, sustaining of them throughout these years up until now. But there are so many other things, not just the prophecies, but nature itself, as Romans uh, chapter 1 speaks to us, our children, God's provision in your life, God's speaking to you through his holy word. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you've been following him, uh, the, more, the, more, the more years, the more you know these things. You can look back on your life and you can see. And it is as clear as a nose on your face to you, though no one else might ever know it or see it. You can see it and it's as clear as a nose on your face. God has guided me and directed me and led me all these years. When I thought it was a closed door, what was um, that old 70s worship song? And there was a line that said, uh, disappointment, his appointment. Disappointment, his appointment. Not just in what God has done for me. That, that's what the world you live in today, that's the God they're looking for. The God who's going to do something for them. Uh, well, why isn't, if, if God's there, why this happened? Why this happened? Why isn't this? Why isn't this? No, this is a personal relationship between you and Almighty God through Jesus Christ. And that's where he's, that's the economy where he's going to work between you and him. It's a personal thing. What is God calling you to do? I don't know what the future holds, but I know exactly what God wants me to do tomorrow. God wants me to get up in the morning. He wants me to read the scriptures, pray. He wants me to listen to worship music on the way to work. And he wants me to say this. This is, this is me. This is not necessarily you. You do your thing, what God's shown you to do. And God wants me to say, hey, God, I'm available to you today. Will I go do these silly little sprinkler inspections that I'm going to do? I'm available to you today. Bring somebody into my path for me to witness to. Bring somebody into my path for me to talk to Jesus about with, to give them a hope beyond this world that they see. And when I get home, I know God wants me to love my family and take care of my family and be a light to my family to the best of my ability. It's not the things I don't know that give me trouble, folks. It's the things I do know, and God says it. It's very near to you. These truths, these things of God, the things that you should be focused on are not on the other side of the sea or over the mountain or in outer space. It's very clear in the written word. You know exactly what God wants you to do in your life. It's a very simple equation. Will you or will you not? The blessing isn't what, in what God's going to do, guys. The blessing isn't in what God's going to give you or do for you. The blessing is in God himself and in your relationship, and in your walk with him. And there's only one way to access that beautiful symbiotic relationship. And this is a tough one for all of us. Obedience. Obedience. He hasn't changed since what he spoke to the children of Israel through Moses. He hasn't changed. Obedience. Believe in Jesus Christ. 
Put your faith in him. And after that, walk the walk. Walk out your faith. The Bible says live out your faith with fear and trembling. In other words, be very deliberate and serious about it. God wants us to be sober-minded, he says in his word, and vigilant, especially in the days that we live in. We know exactly what we need to do. We can let God worry about the rest. Listen, look what he's done in Israel, folks. He's got it. He's got this. He certainly has got you. He's got your life. He's got every single day that you're going to walk this earth. He's got your death. He's got you bringing, him, bringing you through to the other side. He's got it all. Our reward is in our relationship and our walk with him. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and thank you for your word. And Lord, help us to, uh, in our, each of us in our hearts individually, Father, uh, starting with me, I would say, Lord, since I'm the one praying, uh, Lord, change me, change my heart, Lord. Uh, make me a person who every day is just seeking after uh, a deeper walk with you, Lord, a deeper relationship with you. Lord, help us to not be carnally minded. Help us not to be so fixed and focused on the world around us and what we see happening, Lord. The things that cause us to be mad, the things that cause us to be dismayed, the things that cause us to lose hope, the things that cause us to worry, Father, none of those are anything of you, Father. And so we pray that you would help us to focus on the things that are of you, Father, and to be obedient to your word, your very sure word, Father, just as you've spoken it to us, Father, uh, in our hearts, Lord, and in the written word that we have in front of us, Lord, and help us to be obedient to the things we know we're supposed to do, Lord, and to wait on you for the things that we don't know. Lord, help us to have that simple kind of faith. Thank you, Lord, for who you are, for what you've already done, Father, what you're doing now and what you will do, Lord. We trust you for all of it, Father. We put our lives and our hearts and our families and all that we have, Lord, into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you.